I would have, as I said, you know, I've had these times in my life where I'm like, I, I'm, this is, I'm causing too many train wrecks, relationships, <laughs> job losses, all this stuff. And I would stop drinking and think like, okay, now it's going to get better. And, you know, it never did. Right. You know, I'm like, I couldn't figure that out. Hello. Hi. It's me, Adam. I know. Crazy stuff. Another episode of Madison Story Slam coming at you. After a three-year-long hiatus, a little bit more than three years, our last episode was actually the episode I recorded with David Clark Sally. You can be sure to go back and listen to that one. You can be sure to go back and listen to all of the episodes of the podcast because they're all still there, and we'd love for you to catch up and be reminded about what we do here at Story Slam. On today's episode, it is a Long Slam episode, but we're no longer calling it the Long Slam. The Long Slam were episodes where I just had somebody come on and we'd have a conversation, an interview, if you were. Today, it's Tom Farley. It's his third time on the show, and we have a great conversation about sobriety and recovery and the importance of connection and storytelling. Speaking of storytelling, come to our next event, May 20th at the Wilmar Center. The theme is Boldly. Would love to see you there. Here's me and Tom. Because, you know, just before COVID hit, you know, I also you know, kind of went full-fledged into recovery, you know, and I, I just yeah. kind of, you know, just became a whole kind of... How how quick before COVID? Like, how soon I think I was that? about a year and a half okay. into sobriety and doing my kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was just, like, there were some people, you know, and, and I had a different job even. So it's just, it was just, it made sense. And, again, a lot of the people, I think, a lot of the people that I, you know, struggled with were the people that were really having a hard time with recovery. I mean, with, with COVID and, you know, they, you know, ran into problems with the, I mean, like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people came out of, out of COVID with behaviors they didn't have going in. Right. And I knew a lot of those people, they, you know. Well, I'm curious. So for me, I, same thing, right before COVID, I got sober, yeah. uh, right before the pandemic. I, I am California sober. Cannabis is a huge part of my life. Yeah, that's, the, you know, I, I contemplated that. Yeah. You know. I, so I have neuropathy and the only re- I didn't try cannabis until I was 32. I, so I have yeah. nerve damage. And at 32, I finally tried cannabis and it was like a miracle for me. So, yeah. uh, but before that, six months before I tried cannabis, I quit drinking because of a diabetes diagnosis. And for a long time would just say, yeah, I quit drinking because of health reasons and, right. and things like that. I lost about a hundred pounds in the first yes, six I know. months. I, I almost didn't want to, you're one of those people I didn't want to like reconnect with because <laughs> I, I follow you on social media. It's like, right. how do you do that? Yeah. You know, people ask me all that, that all the time. They say, how did you do it? And I find they're asking one of two questions. They're asking a, what's the cheat code that yeah. you did? Cause there's no way in hell that you did the hard work to lose a hundred pounds in six months. And then, or B they're asking the question, what is the hard work that you actually did yeah. to lose 100 pounds in six months? The cheat code is a pandemic. Yeah. We just recorded an episode that will be on after yours with a guy named Michael Nielsen from Story First Media. He told me to say hi to oh, you. Uh, yeah, I know. He and his dad are great. Yeah. I love their work. Great they're, guys. They're so amazing. They've got a great documentary coming out at the yes. Wisconsin Film Festival yeah. called Beyond Human Nature that yeah. I'm in. I was in oh, the reenactments awesome. and did some voiceover for them in that. Uh, listeners, you can check that out. Friday, April 14th at the Milwaukee Film Festival and Saturday, April 15th at the Wisconsin Film Festival in Madison. Um, But so I had him on. I said to him, if you ever need to just like radically change your life, lose a bunch of weight, quit drinking, quit all of the bad stuff and start all of the good stuff, 
have a worldwide pandemic happen right before you need to do all those things. Because the world shutting yeah. down, I didn't have any temptation to drink because the bars were closed. Yeah. I didn't have any temptation to eat food that was outside of the menu I decided for me because yeah. restaurants were yeah. closed. And then you couldn't go out and hang out with people. So all I did was work out for four hours a day. It was, it was wonderful. It was so good. But so for you, you said you, you got sober about a year. It, it took me a year of being sober before I would admit that I was an alcoholic. Ah. Which is really funny to me. Like I used to just say, yeah, you know, I, I had a problem with alcohol, with sure. my relationship to alcohol, but I would never say that I was an alcoholic. And then about a year into no alcohol and, and living really clean, I just realized, oh, I am an alcoholic. Yeah. Well, and I say this all the time. It, it's because I have tried, you know, being sober before and mm -hmm. I would get five years. Literally, you know, I would, I would have some success but because it was only about being sober uh it would inevitably you know because it's there waiting right telling you you can have that drink yeah and then now in recovery i'm i'm just i realize that it, the sobriety just gives me the clarity to deal with the real stuff the stuff that was making me you know wanting me to drink the whole time and that's the difference yeah you know it's interesting in our first episode by the way the first time you came on the show was November 2014, so almost nine years ago. And then you came on again, I believe, in March of 2017, which is six years ago. Wow. And you are our first third-time appearance guest. So I, our first episode back, and you're our third, first, first third-time appearance guest. And I, I just thought, how special would it be? You were our first guest. You're our first guest back. Interesting. I'm like... Three-fifths of the way to that uh, five-timer jacket. Right. I'm excited. Right. I'm very That's excited. Right. I'll call Steve Martin for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I remember on that episode, it was either on that episode or afterwards, we went out to the Brokaw downtown. Yeah. I had pictures from it. Yeah. Me too. I just yeah. saw that picture today. Yeah. And I think, I actually think it was there. I don't think it was while we were recording. You were talking about alcoholism, addiction, and you referred to yourself as an alcoholic. And it was the first time that I had ever interacted with somebody who said that just matter-of-factly and picked up their beer and drank. <laughs> and, I, and I just remember going, you're an alcoholic. You think you're an alcoholic? And you're like, oh, yeah, 100%. And I just remember thinking, why are you drinking that? And, and I, just didn't, I just didn't understand that you could be Neither actively... Did I. Yeah, you could be actively in that alcoholism yeah. and just not think of it as a big deal. I'm curious... First of all, listeners, hey, it's Adam here from Madison Story Slam. Thanks for tuning in. If you're watching on Twitch, thanks for tuning in as well. It's me and Tom Farley. You just heard it's his third appearance on the Story Slam podcast. It's our first episode back after a three-year hiatus, and I thought, how special would it be to have Tom come back on, tell yeah. some stories, talk about storytelling? But honestly, I really wanted to connect to, with you about sobriety. Yeah. I'm curious. Take me from nine years ago, your first appearance on this episode or on this podcast, where you talked about being an alcoholic, picked up a beer and drank. How did you find that? Because you just said you've, you've been sober for periods of time. And how yeah. did you find where you're at now, where it seems to me, it seems like a much more concrete, this is a part of me yeah. now, I am sober. How did you find, what's that path like? Well, it was, you know, I mean... I would have, as I said, you know, I've had these times in my life where I'm like, I, I'm, this is, I'm causing too many train wrecks, relationships, <laughs> job losses, all this stuff. And I would stop drinking and think like, okay, now it's going to get better. And, you know, it never did. Right. You know, I'm like, I couldn't figure that out, but I'm sober. Like, why is this still happening? Um, 
why am I still like a maniac out there? So uh, there was, I think it was like, you know, whatever the summer before I kind of made this moment, I I had a great summer. I had a great summer. I had uh, some, you know, some, you know, a good kind of financial success, you know, and uh, I had, and I just had a blast. Um, But I was, I was doing stuff. I, I I I was smart enough to know that I was I was making some amazing, some really kind of messed up kind of logic. I would I would be out with friends at a party, and I would say like, okay, if I leave right now, you know, I can get safely home. Which right, I'm already familiar with those yeah. uh, bargaining. But, but when, when you when you rationalize that, you you like no, you're actually you've passed that point. Yeah, but. Yeah, get home. But I would get home, and then I would be home at like nine thirty. I'm like, okay, well, the party—it's you know, the night's not over. And I would like open the cabinet, and then I w- would go from the social drinker to this like I'm alone, you know, and 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 drinking. And I was fine with being alone, but I was you know drinking alone is it's it's different. And then <laughs> it's I would very different. yeah. D- let's talk, let's let's bunny trail real quick. What makes it so different? Do you think? Because you're alone with your th- then all of a sudden you're alone with your thoughts. You know, and you're alone with your alcoholic thoughts. And usually your thoughts are why you're drinking at that point. Yeah, exactly. So it just it's fuels all coming it, fuels out, it, you know. fuels it. And like you, you'll, you'll be watching some movie and get like really emotionally, it's triggering some emotion, you know, you, you'd, I'd lock into something. And then, you know, I wasn't really bad at it, but the, the times when I would pick up, you know, my phone and start doing social media stuff I'm like <laughs> oh come on oh, man. man so then so i would have those moments then but then the worst thing was i you know i'd wake up a either in the middle of the night with like oh my god i needed like you know some well, like a gallon of water or i'd wake up the next morning and i would go for the you know first thing you know i'd be profan just like this is this is i feel horrible right and i did a whole summer of all, that whole storyline just on loop and I'm like, this is insane. And this is the summer that you called a great summer? Well, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God. This is everything my alcoholic mind would want me to do. I was doing it all. Right. It was, this was what my mind was telling me is great. How depressing. Because, I, you know, it's interesting. I do find myself, I drive Uber on the side. And so I pick up a lot of people from bars, students, yeah, things like yeah. that. And I do find myself sometimes thinking, man, I miss this life. I miss bar hopping. I miss going out and getting drunk. And what I actually, if I really search what I'm actually missing in Ah. that, I miss the irresponsibility of that life. Because when you're just drinking and you don't care, like I was, so for me, it got real bad. I was drinking a 12 pack of PBR tall boys every single night and uh, maybe two to three ounces of really nice whiskey. Cause at the time I, I had a whiskey yeah. podcast yeah. as well. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And um, I could just go home and drink. I would get off work from 5 PM to midnight and drink that case of tall boys. And it was the most irresponsible thing in the world. And, and it's so selfish. And so for me to say, I miss that, it makes me sound like a piece of shit, but, but there is something about being irresponsible yeah. that is a false freedom. Well, you know what it is? It it makes, you know, all the 
you know, it, it whitewashes all the train wrecks that are happening yes. in your life. The job loss and the, you know, the relationships that are imploding around you. And like, yeah, but that's, I'm being irresponsible. This is kind of part of the deal. I'm, yeah. That's okay because this is okay. Right. It, it just, it's it's a package deal. And So you've got that great summer. What happens after that great summer that makes you so go, I oh. got Like I did the last couple times in my life when I started would get sober i just got tired of like I, i'm getting like and i would like and going like going home from i would like you know like all right if i go down this back road i would like i would like right. over like yeah i was thought i was being very responsible and i was you know like plotting out it's so you're you know, thinking like an alcoholic yeah is what it and is. like I, I was smart enough and i've had enough you know, you know, people in my life, you know, I've been around this, you know, issue long enough to know, what? like, no, this is you? insane. This is crazy. Yeah. I'm like, this is, I'd like, all right, you got to do something. So I, I remember I went to, there was a, a, a good friend of mine that, uh, that's a musician up in Baraboo. And I, I went to see him years ago, um, down at the, um, uh, not the SNL. So what's the next to the SNL? So the, the yeah, I can't come think of it. Come back in? Come back, yeah, yeah. And I went to the cinema, and he goes, yeah, I just got sober, and here I'm just kicking pints back. Like, oh, <laughs> that's cool. And he's like, because I had been in the space, you know, advocating you know, with the Chris Farley Foundation. You know, I've been like, you know, talking a game. Right. And so people came up to me like, hey, thanks. You know, like, hey, you're trying to share with me, like, I'm sober too. It was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not, yeah. you know? And I'm, and then he was playing again, like, you know, four, four plus years, you know, four years ago plus, uh, at Octopi. Mm-hmm. Right. Right over here on a Sunday afternoon. And I saw it on Facebook and I'm like, oh, I can, I can, I can go on a Sunday and in the, in this beautiful day, but I can go and drink and listen to this great music. So I lit, and I, and I watched this guy just, he seemed like so in in charge of himself and just right. with his art form and and I'm sitting there drinking. I'm like, this is. I felt kind of really just. I want whatever that guy has. I want what that is. So then I just stopped the next day hmm. and I'm like, I'm. I'm I, but was it, it a big long? Was there? Uh... A meeting of the minds in your mind all night talking about what no, this would look really. like. No, not really. I and... just knew that, you know, as I said, I just had this great summer. Yeah. And I'm like, and I knew this was, this didn't feel right. This was wrong. And I saw this kind of like, it was just that aha moment. It's right. Like, I, you, you know you're supposed to do that. So like, it wasn't a you know, struggle or, you know, it's just like, yeah, I needed that kind of visual. I want what that guy has. So I, I stopped and... Jump forward four months, um, a really good friend of mine who, you know, I ended up, you know, working with, um, that I had done work with, you know, she had done a lot of teen recovery work in town. She is the, she is just amazing how many people she's helped. And we just haven't, hadn't talked in a while. And she just called me up and she said, how you doing? And I proudly tell her, um, I haven't had a drink in four months. And she's like, that's wonderful. Well, like why? Let's get some coffee. And I'm sorry, I, you know, I'd love to get coffee. Like, she goes, great. Meet me Saturday morning, uh, nine o'clock in the basement of the Presbyterian Church. I'm like, okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> right. You know what? But I'm like, but this was that one person. When you had that, right. when you ask, like, what was it? Like, it was that one person that you, tr- that I trusted, that accepted me, whether I was drinking or not, she always accepted me. 
And I said, yes. I said, okay, I'll meet you there. Hmm. And I went and, and I had gone to, you know, meetings before and it was always like it was in my family. When you have somebody like Chris in your family, you could always point to that, like point like everyone in my family has a drinking problem. Oh, is it at least I'm not that? I'm is not that, that. So I guess okay. I'm okay. Yeah. And I would go to AA meetings and listen to these people's stories. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not this bad. I don't, I don't belong here. Right. But this last time, because I, this, I went with this person and I just said, I owe her, you know, just shut up and listen. Yeah. And I listened and I really wasn't about, my barometer was no longer how much I drink as opposed to everyone else. I started listening to people's story and went, I think like that person. I did that. I'd like, I, it was more the, 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 the. You know, you're as, you're as sick as your secrets, right? Yeah. And so what, what I find with my alcoholism, I just, I kept secrets from myself for for a long time. Things I refused to look at where it took a year of being sober to finally have the courage to look at those things that blaringly, just glaringly say, you are an alcoholic because you think this way, because you behave this way, not because of the amount you're drinking. No, absolutely. That's not the, that's the wrong barometer. Dr. Drew Pinsky has a great um, definition of addiction and he he defines addiction. Maybe, maybe it's not just his, but he defines addiction as anything that you can't stop in the face of negative consequences. And I, yeah, I look at my drinking and I think, you had nothing but negative consequences. Yeah. You had some fun stuff, but yeah. even those fun things were pretty negative. Always had at, at some at some point, you know, the negative kicks in. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that that sense of, and and we're also going to talk a little bit about storytelling yeah. and and what you're doing currently because I know you work for a recovery foundation. Is that yeah. right? Well, Rose Grants, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a started as a residential. Uh, uh, treatment facility for teens and adults. We have two places in Rockford and we have a lot of clinics and we have a clinic here in Madison that we just merged with. So um, they've been around a hundred years and, and yeah, I, I, it's great to like, yeah, actually, you know, I used to, as I said, I've talked about it for so long and now I get to actually get people into recovery, so into treatment. It's so cool. And it, we will talk about yeah. that. I do want to talk to you a little bit, little bit about what you just were speaking of the the comparison the comparing that alcoholics do especially when it's in your own family and you go at least i'm not yeah, this bad. person yeah. you know for you at least i'm not this person it's chris yeah. uh, that's that's the uh, the big one i guess yeah. right and it, it's pretty easy for you and more or less anybody who knows anything about your family to look at that and go well at least tom's not chris because everybody knows Chris's story. Yeah. And you know, 25 years ago, I think it was in de- yeah, last, December, last December, and yeah. this, this year it'll be 26 years. You know, Chris burned out in a, in a pretty big fashion. Very public, yeah. Right. And so I do want to explore that with you in the sense of, at least I'm not this. My mom drank herself to death in March of last year. Man. So, uh, and so you talk about, you know, drinking and, and, and having conversation with sober people who are, and, and you're like, well, I'm not sober. I remember in my own life when I finally came to that, uh, not realization, but came to that acceptance that I am an alcoholic. Yeah. Part of that acceptance was accepting all of the anger and whatever I had at my mom for abandoning her family for alcohol. Meanwhile, I was 
drinking just as much yep. and in just as bad of a spot as she was at times. And so there was a lot of acceptance that I had to, to work around that. I'm curious for you because not only was Chris's struggles and his end so public, but your involvement in recovery through the Chris Farley Foundation and things like that have also been public, but throughout those times you were drinking or you were struggling with your sobriety, things like that. Yeah. How does that affect, for me, again, I, I had I struggled for about a year after that that realization of like okay well I have to I have to come to terms with I was I cut my mom out of my life for drinking while I was yeah. an alcoholic. Sure. What does that kind of look like for you? Do you, do you have those moments where you look back to conversations or decisions with people in your family and think yeah but how how fair was that when I was this at well, the time? Well, you start with Chris. You know, I mean, I had all sorts of you know. Uh, emotions, you know, tied to that relationship, you yeah. know, from, from the good loving ones to the like resentments and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the, you know, and I would always kind of make it as an alcoholic will, you know, make it about myself. And, you know, I, what, what, I guess the answer is all these years later, I, you know, I'd now get to separate Chris from his addiction and say that was Chris, that was Chris's addiction. Hmm. You know, Chris is still, and, and what's beautiful is like now we're like, it's, it's amazing 25 years later, we're, we're talking about Chris, you know, as Chris, yeah. where we separated his, his Why do you addiction. think it took that long? Uh, not, not just yeah. for you as a person, but like the pu general public. I feel like, you know, when that, what was the bigger documentary that came out there? I feel like there were two that came out in the same year. Two years apart. Two years apart. Yeah. I feel like when, maybe it's both of them. When those documentaries came out, it does feel like there was a shift in the general public and how they think of Chris. Because, again, when... Well, we know... I'm sorry to cut you off. You're but, good. Uh, I'm, I'm not sorry, but... Um, <laughs> uh, we know so much more about mental illness and addiction than we did 25 years ago. It's not just some guy being a jerk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was behavior. Chris's behavior was wrong. And even our family, you know, even in Chris in treatment, all the times he went through treatment, it was to treat his alcoholism, his, his, um, his industry was all about like, fix this so we can start making money off you again. Right. It was, you know, and it had, there was nothing about, you know, the, 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 the mental health side of things, which now we know. And I, I think now we see all the, you know, the, the traumas and, and this and that. So, yeah, I don't know. We just see it in a, Chris in a different light as, as I see myself in a different light now because we know that there are so many other things. A much more forgiving and, uh, view, viewpoint is, is how I feel like a lot of people have towards alcoholism yeah. and, and people who are clean or people who are gone. Yeah, so. a, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, it's um, it what, what what was really interesting is like I was out there, you know, for you know over twenty years, you know, doing doing good work, going into schools, telling Chris's story, and you know, trying to you know make some sense of it all and help people on top of that, and that was great. But when I got into recovery and started telling my story, I I was I'm I'm doing the exact same thing, but now I'm not talking about somebody else's addiction. I'm talking about my kind of story and 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 people are flocking to me you know and and really like oh no you're really helping me i'm like wait you don't want to hear about chris and like yeah i mean those are great stories you know d d don't stop that but like you're here you're like you know and i guess you know really when it comes down to it is is i'm not just i'm telling you know chris is still a part of it 
he's I'm, it's kind of like I'm 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 doing I'm kind of experiencing recovery for both of us. I think on our first episode, I purposefully didn't listen to anything that we have ever done together. But I I am almost positive on that first episode, we were talking about stories and redemption. And I asked you, what is the redemption for Chris's story? I do not remember your answer, but I'm very curious to see what your answer today would be as somebody who's sober and has been sober and working in recovery for a while now. What, and, and especially with what you just said, that you feel like you're in recovery you know, for Chris and, and yeah. you and Chris. What do you think the redemption of Chris's story is today? Well, I think the, the beautiful thing about Chris's humor and body of work, all that kind of stuff is that you know, and why people I think still kind of f- connect with Chris is because he was only ever playing one character himself. <laughs> Chris Farley. Always, you know, and I think, you know, if you, you know, like um, you see all these other, you know, people, you see all these other actors and you see their character, you have no idea what they're like. But now you see Chris, like I I know Chris, of course, and they do. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and, and so that... I feel like especially if you're a Midwest fan, specifically a Madison fan, 100%. and you're funny at all, you have any kind of sense of humor where you can make people laugh, you really know Chris. Yeah. Well, the, the beautiful thing I always say about Chris is that is as, 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 you know, big as he got, and, you know, he just never, ever forgot that he was Chris from Wisconsin. Yeah. And I say that to, you know, when I talk to people in Wisconsin, it's like, you know, I think we love him here because he's us. He's us. Yeah. You know, he was, he was showing the world who, how just, you know, how, you know, how we are just very kind of acceptant of who we are. And so when a local boy like that, because that's what you're saying at his heart, Chris, local boy, that's who he is. Right. So when a local boy like that has such a explosive rise and then a pretty explosive demise yeah there is i there's just not a lot of redemption in in that in that first year first 10 years for 15 years what redemption can be found but now i for me i look at your story and i and i line it up next to chris's and what amazing redemption because I'm sure Chris's story affects your sobriety story. Right? It totally does. It totally does. I, I think to answer your question, what I and I talk about, you know, unfortunately in this in this in the 25 years since Chris died, you know, so many others have followed him, and I get to interact with a lot of, you know, um, families that are left, you know, with that legacy, and a lot of wonderful people have, have they've created foundations like we did and you know it's all like you know this this overdose awareness or you know drug awareness and that stuff and i feel bad because i do share kind of a commonality that i've lost a you know a loved one but the 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 difference is is you know everyone it seems it seems to me that everyone else's you know focus is like how this person died interesting and I have never talked about Chris's overdose or his addiction. I talked about, you know, this is what we miss. Look what we miss yeah. when we don't, uh, you know, focus on people's, you know, mental health and addictions. Like, we're, we're, you know, these aren't addicts that, you know, that, that, that passed away. These are humans. 
And Chris gives me the opportunity to kind of remind people. And I think that's the redemption is, is, is like, don't focus on how they died. Let's remember how, how, you know, what we lost, you know, what addiction took away, you know, even while they were alive, it took away elements of humanity from people. And that's why, you know, I'd rather talk about that. Exactly. Well, there, the, and what a great, that's, that's a great answer to the redemption question, because maybe that is where redemption is found, is in the good moments of, of their life and, yeah. and things like that. I like that. I, finding redemption in, you know, in their life. Yeah, just, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Just remembering these are, these, are, these are wonderful people that, you know, and with Chris and his body's, body of work, we, we get to still laugh. Right. Chris is still making us laugh, but, you know, that he's so unique. There's a lot of people out there that these families are like, you know, missing that voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get to talk about, some people come up to me every day. I get to talk about that, and it's wonderful. He's as alive as... as Does it get old, though? Is there are there moments for Tom Farley where you say, "Could I just be Tom Farley, not Chris's brother, Tom Farley?" Yeah, I, I'm 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 taking that back, you know, yeah. little by little. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, my 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 uh, full name for many many years was Tom Farley, brother of Chris, who died of a drug <laughs> overdose. That that was my full name. Now I'm just Tom Farley again, and you know, once in a while I get that. So it's I'm taking it back, and that's nice. Well, I mean, you're a you're a New York Times bestselling author for the yeah. Chris Farley Show. You and Tanner Colby, yeah, and one of my favorite books. It used to be a yearly read for me. Yeah, um, you've got. I mean, you you ran the Chris Farley. Now, see, here's the thing: is a lot of what you've done, you've attached your name to Chris's name. Yeah, and yeah. so maybe maybe that's part of it. But like you said, you're taking it back. It's not now like it's you're about a, me. I'm not talking just about Chris anymore. I I, I assume your business card at Rosecrans doesn't say Chris Farley's brother. Tom no, that's Farley. what I'm saying. It's, yeah. Hope you're enjoying the episode featuring this great conversation about sobriety and many other things with Tom Farley. Just wanted to pop in here real quick, let you know on May 20th at the Wilmar Center here in Madison, Wisconsin, we're doing our first live storytelling event in over three years. The theme is boldly, so come ready to tell or hear great stories based on that theme. However, you're able to fit that theme into your story would be great. It's a $10 suggested donation. We're sponsored by One Barrel Brewing Company, and all the money coming in that night is going directly to the Wilmar Center to help support what they do to meet their community where they're at. We'd love to see you there. You know, it's funny, just kind of going back to what really connected me to recovery was the for the longest time, whether it was being Chris Farley's brother or just, you know, Whoever I was trying to create, I was trying to create this person that I thought the world wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And I knew deep down it wasn't my authentic self, but I was trying to push, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I went here, I grew up here, so I got to, you know, it was just all this. And, and, to, and the funny thing is, in order to be that kind of person that I was creating, I needed I needed every. I needed to control everyone. Like I need you for me to be that person. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need my ex-wife to do this. I my kids to do this. I needed all these people to 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 play their part. And of course, they didn't. Right. You know. You know, because they were being them themselves. You know, that was the struggle. And so the first time being at a meeting, and I heard the words that they say every meeting when they you know when they start a meeting at, with uh, how it works is when I heard the word. Words rigorous honesty. Mm. And I went, what? You mean I can live a life 
of like, you know, without this kind of falseness, you know, that I knew that was eating me up inside. Yeah. I can be my, my, you know, and not just worry about how, just, you know, kind of like control the things I can control and be my own self and really work on that and, and try to explore, like, like really define who am I and do I agency of self, do I like that person? You know, like start there Yeah. instead of jumping to, you know, creating this false person and like wondering if, if everyone likes that person. Yeah. That, That was brutal. A big part of my recovery has, has been that same thing. Um, in the last, over the pandemic, um, you know, the app TikTok got yeah. really big. Yeah. And, you know, people look at it as this do nothing, waste time kind of app. But there are, there are millions of people who have, this app has shown them things about themselves, about their mental health, that they just, for whatever reason, they weren't aware of. And the algorithm for TikTok is just so good at knowing who you are as a person. Right away, it's really bad because it's just throwing everything at you to see what you want. But pretty quickly, it learns who you are. Um, For me, it started, and for me, a lot of and a lot of people, it started showing um, a neurodivergent thing. And neurodivergence would be ADHD or autism are both neurodivergent spectrum things. And when I started to figure out, this is the first time I'm talking about this publicly. When I started to figure out and started to really identify with some of the autism spectrum information that I was being given and then started to actually go in and do research and talk to professionals and take tests and more or less have come to the point without an official diagnosis, I'm still at the point now where I'm just like, if I'm not autistic, then there's something way different going on. So when you're talking about creating this person and pretending to be something and and um, what, what type of honesty did you say it is? That rigorous honesty. Rigorous honesty. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I came to this realization in the last 12 months that I've been masking my entire life. Uh, yeah. That I have been pretending to be this person that I'm not. I call him Duke Adams. Duke Adams is the guy that hosts this podcast. He hosts Story Slam on stage. He's the guy that makes jokes and is not afraid to talk to people. But Adam Rosted is actually pretty shy Yes. Pretty, oh my pretty, gosh. Adam Rosted, people think is grumpy because what his preference at a party to do is to sit and read on his phone or to sit and create a picture or do some graphic design alone, not interacting. But Duke Adams realized that people don't like that. And so Duke Adams had to come in and create this persona. And I like Duke Adams. But Duke Adams is the reason I was a drinker. Yeah. That, that I have to be fake thing. It's so much pressure. I, I wonder how many people on that autism spectrum, I mean, I, I've done research, so I know a little bit, but I wonder how many people on that neurodivergent spectrum, whether it be ADHD or autism, who feel like they have to create this persona to fit in. Yeah. How many of them are going home and escaping into a bottle or escaping into well, some other form of addiction. Yeah. I mean, well, for me, you know, everyone always kind of assumes I'm this, this outgoing person and I am absolutely not. Yeah. But I, when I'm out, when I'm out there doing that, I will give 110%. And Chris was the same way. It's like, if this is what you want, I will, I will hammer it home. I will be that person. But then I got to go and I got to recharge those batteries. Mm-hmm. I, then I got to get back to myself, my, my, kind of, you know, um, uh, kind of internal, I, I, I need, I can't, I can't keep that up. Yeah. I, you know, for, um, for five or six years, we did story slam once a month, a live event at the Wilmar neighborhood center and other, other venues as well during that time. 
but Saturdays once a month, those were our big shows. They were three to four hour shows. Yeah. It was a, you know, I was on stage between every story, making people laugh, trying to be Mr. Entertainer. And I used to tell my wife, Ashley, and anybody in my circle of friends the next day, Sunday into Monday, don't. Yeah. I have an emotional hangover. Yep. I have a mental hangover, every type of hangover. And I was drinking too. So I had a real hangover, but more so it was that mental, emotional, relational hangover that that character comes in and it's just like pumping you full of adrenaline. And then suddenly you get to not be that character not be that persona anymore. And it's just like, you know, that feeling when you've gotten a bunch of adrenaline because something's happening. And then that feeling like 30 minutes after the situation is over, that's exactly yeah. what it is. That yeah. adrenaline's left your body all of the good serotonin, everything's gone, and you're just depleted. Well, yeah, and again, you know, whether you're talking about autism or neurodivergent or you know all that kind of stuff, you know, people create that because it's a safe space. They create it for safety. Yeah. In the real world, and um, sometimes when that when that gets imbalanced and goes too far, then you've got to like, how do I get that back in balance? And a lot of times you choose unsafe and un unhealthy ways, you know, yeah. drinking, because it's, you know. It's easy. It, 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 it starts out as a, as a uh, this is how I'm safe in the world, and then, you know, it just gets, yeah, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. But. That taste of alcohol makes, that taste of alcohol deceives your brain pretty quickly into thinking that it's a quick charger for the recharge that yeah. you need to do. It's not. All that alcohol is doing is actually draining you as well and making the yeah. recharge that you need yes. take longer and longer and longer. And you never actually fully get recharged. That's what I noticed. Once I finally quit drinking and stopped feeling like I had the need to have alcohol in my system to be able to relate to people and feel that safety that we're talking yeah. about, I realized I was able to actually recharge. Sorry, you go ahead. No, but the thing is, in this, I talk a lot about this, especially post-COVID, because uh, it just it was that aha moment, like why we do all this stuff that we do. And the thing is, like, we do that because, it, it, you know, we have to stay, you know, it, it's being out there in this kind of falseness. And it's kind of like, as I said, I'll give 110%. But sometimes I know that, it, you know, the, the batteries are dead. Yeah. But I'm still out there doing this. And the, the only thing that's going to keep that is that, I'm not recharging my batteries. Right. I'm fueling up. So for you, it's like it's like a temporary charge or it's temporary a, it's fuel. Yeah, it's it's it's. it's but yeah. it's like putting the wrong kind of charge or the it wrong totally kind of fuel in. And the, and the and the thing is, what I talk about more than anything is our need for connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, as as humans, we're we're, we're we exist for no other reason than to connect. To connect. And when we go to that you know, recharge place, we separate ourselves from that connection. You know, we definitely need it, but also we're isolating. Mm -hmm. And so that's bad too. So we've got to find a way to, whether we're in the, you know, public, you know, space and, you know, putting it all out there or in the recharge space when we're um, kind of alone we and in danger of isolating, actually we're isolating in both, you know, arenas. But we, you know, connection, we got to figure out how we maintain that connection. And the rest of the world needs to figure out how best to connect with us, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's really, it's, it's, it, that's the missing ingredient 
is is figuring out you know how do we want to connect with the world and how do we want them to connect with us i want to talk about that a little bit what we have always believed in our tagline at madison story slam is building community through storytelling the way that i say that happens is that when you're on stage or you're on a microphone on a podcast whatever and you tell a personal true story something that happened to you in your life that you are connected to it draws a line of connection between you and everyone hearing it. Let's just take live, for example, from a stage at Madison Story Slam at the Wilmar Center. Yeah. You're up there telling a story. There's a sea of people, an audience. And I don't mean you have this big connection line to everyone as a sea of people. I mean individual lines of connection with every single person in that room. Because when you're telling a story, what it does for them is, th you know, you've heard people tell stories. Usually you connect to something. You go... Oh, that reminds me. You're I was there saying, somehow. Yes. Stories beget stories. It's yeah. the same thing as sitting around with your family at the dinner table during Christmas. Somebody tells a story. That reminds your brother. Oh, yep. here's a story. So everybody's connecting in some way with the storyteller. Finding out, oh, we're the same. Oh, we're not so different. Oh, I'm not alone. So that's the connection. And then you get to build on that community, on that, on that connection and form community. Because during the breaks at Story Slam, people would come up and talk and say, hey, great story. Or they might talk to a neighbor, a, a, a table neighbor or something and say, oh, you know, that story was great. And here's how it touched me. And you're building community off of that connection that you both felt to that storyteller. This is a big lead up to a question for you about Rosecrans. I am so what, you're you're going and doing talks at Rosecrans, like uh, going out no. into the public. What are you doing? No. As an outreach representative, my job is to go to you know, hospitals, doctors, clinics, schools sometimes to say like, you know, like if you have somebody that, that needs right. mental health or substance abuse, uh, residential, you know, we, you know, we have a place down in Rockford that can do that. Or if, you know, if they don't have the right insurance or they don't have, they can't get, I, I'm also connecting with other mental health substance abuse, uh, um, providers in Wisconsin okay. and say, all right, if it's not us, you should, this person and just really finding people, you know, uh, you know, either, either getting, referring in to us or me, uh, you know, making sure that you, I refer you to somebody that can help you. So how do you do that? Because, and, and I bring this up with the idea of that connection that we need as people that, and, and building community. I imagine that you're going, you're not just going and <laughs> reading off a list of the reasons you can help. You're probably incorporating storytelling into well, that. That's, I mean, that is exactly it. I mean, so how does that connection, what does it look like when you're in a room full of people? I, I have to, it, it's again, because I've been an advocate for so long, that's my skill set. A lot of my peers are like ex -pharm pharmaceutical reps and they know the hospitals really well and they come in and then here's our latest program. And they, it, it's, 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 um, they talk features. I talk benefits. Yeah. And that's right you know, through stories. And, and oh, I like to say that again. They talk features. They talk features. Uh -huh. Here's what we have. We can provide. And we can provide, and you need these features. And that's great. And a lot of, a lot of people think that way. Um, uh, I go in and talk to about benefits. Mm. Like, this is why recovery and our treatment. And are you are. connecting with um, former patients to tell their stories in those, in those meetings and things like that? Or maybe you don't connect with former patients, but like do we have an, a, a very big alumni group of coming up, you know, on the on the 
20th unfortunately i can't be at your yeah story time because i'm i'm gonna be with our alumni on a day retreat down in rockford talking about you know just really connecting you know making sure that they're solid in their recovery and that that they're you know yeah it's, that is where i i i feel like i go to, I, I do a lot of speaking around the country and i got a lot of treatment facilities or you know, hospitals that want to bring me in to be a keynote speaker and i do that and like I, a couple of times in the last couple of years, last couple of months, I was in like Nebraska, Oklahoma, you know, uh, the Dakotas and I would do my thing. And then, and, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, the next light out is, you know, the next day at three o'clock. So I would go to them like, do you have a recovery home or can I talk to your clients? And they go, well, we didn't have you to do that. You run, you really want to do that? I'm cool. like, yeah. And I go and I talk to these people that are literally in, in, in treatment. Now. I'm like, I don't know if I'm here to help you or you're helping me. But I just know I need to be here. That is, it I is, feel that so much because, is, and I lost sight of that. That yeah. that's part of the reason that story slam ended is I, I lost, you know, it was also the pandemic and, and everything that that entailed, but I lost sight of, I needed that connection. I needed yeah. that type of stuff. But I didn't realize there were other people in our community at Madison Story Slam who viewed it the same exact way. Yeah. They needed that connection. They need, and even though they told me that stuff, I just, you know, through the haze of the pandemic, and then also I was getting super healthy. I was, I was uh, self isolating. Yeah. To, to make myself healthy, yep. and eventually that self isolation that I needed crossed a, a line. It crossed a barrier yeah. and became this really toxic, unhealthy thing where I was just closing every door in my life. Yep. And Story Slam became a, uh, a victim to that. And so it's just so interesting to hear you talk about the connection that's needed for you personally, and, and probably everyone in recovery needs connection. They can't do it, you can't do it alone. What we talk about, uh, mental illness and substance abuse, these are diseases of isolation. Hmm. We know that, we know that. But what I talk about now is the flip side of that is we can't heal in isolation. No. It absolutely needs connection yeah and that's that's the missing piece yeah i i've been putting that into practice in my life i'm not somebody who likes to ask for help i'm not somebody who likes to tell people i need well, because you because we're so we think either we're, we're so broken or we're so you know different like people don't understand us and we don't understand that, that like whether it's true whether whether we are you know so different whether we are so othered the what we we need to what I've been telling people and what I need to tell myself is like that otherness, like, is still a vital piece of community and connection. I was just gonna say that otherness is actually That's, what makes the connection happen. Absolutely. But what we were just talking about telling a story about why yeah. you're other, why yeah. you feel that otherness is gonna connect with somebody and say, "Well, you're the same. I've been through the yeah, same yeah. thing." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and people are like, "Oh, you, I'm I'm not alone. I might be like totally unique, but that, like what I'm feeling is not unique. You right. know, it's you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it's it's. I feel so bad for the people that just kind of you know need to be just around everyone that looks and talks and thinks like them themselves. It's like that's just that's, talk about isolation. That is a form of isolation. If you're just surrounding yourself with carbon copies who, like you said, look, think, act, yeah. behave like well, you do, that is isolation. I talk a lot, you know, my brothers taught me this, you know, through their art form of improv, learning that at Second City and and creating ensembles. Like mm. how many 
how many musical ensembles do you know that are just one instrument? Right. One note, <laughs> one thing. Like, it's not very good music. You know, the best ensembles are the ones that, you know, have all these different voices, different styles, different shapes, colors, and they're making beautiful music. That's, that's yeah. you know, the beauty of a... Different strokes, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it's where a, a true ensemble, as I talk about, is, is where everyone has, you know, their own voice and style. Their strengths make the ensemble hmm. better, but their weaknesses, and we all have them, are diminished by everyone else's, you know. Right. And it's, it, it, it's distinct from a team where everyone has a role and you're, 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 you judge people by their talent. Right. But the best teams are the ones that have built the ensemble first, where everyone is. We're doing, we're all, you know. Yeah. I'm value. covering your deficits and you're covering mine. Yeah. Everyone has, everyone matters. Yeah. Um, real quick, we're, we're running short on time, but I did want to, I've, I've really loved our conversation on recovery. Yeah. It was not, I didn't want to spend the whole time talking about, but you know what? It's an important thing it, and it's important to me. I know it's important to you. I do want to say to anybody who's listening, if you are somebody who you're hearing these conversations and, and you're thinking, Oh boy. <laughs> you know, there's going to be links in the show notes. I'll, sh I'll share some links to uh, where Tom's working at Rosecrans and, and different things in the show notes. But honestly, more than going to visit a website and more than maybe calling Rosecrans or any other thing, call somebody you know. Call somebody you, you know love what? and I that you know loves you and tell long, them this. Yeah, I, for a long time, and I tell this to school people all the time, like when I, went, when I was out in New York and Chris was out in New York doing SNL and I started seeing that he was kind of struggling. You know, the rest of my family was in Wisconsin. I, I learned to be, before it was a term, a first responder. Mm. My problem was, I thought, you know, I didn't know what that meant. Right. I thought, I'm the older brother. I got to fix this. I got to solve this because nobody else can. I just needed to connect. Yeah. And I know that now. Yeah. But I tell people, like, look around you. If you see somebody isolating, maybe even yourself, and you see somebody struggling, be that first responder. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, we know, they're heroes. Yeah. Even when you don't feel like you can, because yeah. it's like you said, but even you when it's you who's it. right. Just connect. Yeah. Are you okay? Just the simple act of connect, of, yeah. of reaching yeah. out. It can, can be I a hear miracle. You, I see you. Yeah. 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 Well, Tom, I've really loved the conversation. Our, I do want to do one last thing real quick. Um, we'll have links in the show notes where you can uh, go to Tom's social media pages and you can oh, find boy. him all over the place and we'll, we'll link to Rosecrans and all of that stuff. But our theme for our next Story Slam in May, May 20th, it's boldly. Boldly. And I really like that theme because bold has a lot of, you know, there's a fine line between bold and embarrassing. There's a few different yeah. de definitions of when somebody's bold. You might say, ooh, that's bold. And that's kind of like, ooh, that, you're taking a chance. Yeah. Or somebody who's bold, who's actually doing something brave or embarrassing. There's that, there's that definition of bold as well. I'm curious, does Tom Farley have any stories that come to mind when he hears boldly, something bold? When I hear that, I hear allowing myself to be vulnerable. Hmm. That's when I'm boldest. Yeah. When I am okay. And I, you know, maybe I, I read too much Brene Brown, but... Uh, you know, that man in the arena, you know, taking the shots and, and still getting up. I mean, that, that is to me, that's being bold. That's, that's being owning who you are and, and just being okay yeah. with being out there. So stories, my life in, in recovery is just always so bold. I mean, I never did this before in my life, yeah. you know, be out there and 
and talking about me. It was so easy talking about Chris. Talk about Chris, yeah. Oh, God, that was easy. And no was spotlight on you. Yeah. yeah. But now talking about me and, um, and, and just owning it and just, it's okay. I'm, I'm okay. And, and, and through, maybe through that example, you know, I, I just kind of like, this, this is me. I'm being honest and open. And these are my struggles. These, these are what are, um, I, I get, here's a, here's a great story. I like to tell, I don't know if it's bold, but, um, I'll take it. I love yeah, stories. Yeah, so, yeah. so this is one of the one aha moment in recovery is I was about two years in and, uh, COVID had, you know, had been around for about a year. And then there was that, that moment that summer of 2020 when, you know, it kind of died down and we were, we were all, oh, it's over. You're right. <laughs> so we started coming up, restaurants started opening up. And I went out to my daughter, my oldest daughter from New York, uh, Mary Kate, came home. She wanted to visit and see friends. And so um, we, I said, let's go to lunch. And so we went to Bar Taco out at Hilldale. And it was outside. It was a beautiful summer day. And we got there and the person at the door was like, you know, met us and said, okay, well, it's still COVID protocol. So we don't have menus. Um, you order on your phone and then, you know, somebody, you know, no, we know wait staff with somebody will just bring your food out. Right. And, uh, and I said, that's, that's cool. Uh, but I got really old manish. And I said, all right, well, you know, just answer this question for me. If I'm on my phone ordering and my daughter's on her phone ordering, but I want to pay, like, how does that work? And, he, and the guy was like, all right, well, if you really need a paper menu, I'm like, I didn't say that. Right, right. You know, like, and I got really frustrated that he was just being like so Wisconsin nice to me. I'm like, <laughs> stop it. And then I'm, I caught myself. I'm like, you know what? You know, I'm sorry. You know, and I apologize to him. Um, we'll figure it out. We'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. He goes, and I go, we got it. We got it. And I looked at my daughter and I said, I, you know, um, I'm sorry. I, I I apologize for that. You know, I wanted to be here present with you and all that kind of stuff. And just really, all I was care, cared about was my behavior and what I did. I wasn't trying to, you know, make the relationship better, but I was just open and honest. And she kind of paused and she looked at me and she goes, you know, Dad, when we were growing up, you would have those moments all the time. And we just knew that we had to stay away from you the rest of the day. Ooh. And I'm like, you're lying. That's not true at all. And I'm just like, yeah, like the littlest things, you it, you would you wouldn't let it go. It would just eat you all day long, and we all paid for it. Every little thing. <laughs> and so to see you catch yourself, stop, you know that behavior, like and acknowledge it. Um, apologize to him and apologize to me. That was another thing you never did. Right, is make that that amend moment and. I, I, I was staring at my daughter and I'm like, oh my God, this is what it looks like when relationships get repaired. Mm. I wasn't even trying to, I was, you know, before I would do all the stuff to try to make the relationship better. But here I was just being a better person of, you know, in recovery, uh, you know, trying to you know, control things I can control. And somebody saw it, somebody I cared about. And acknowledge, and not only saw it, but acknowledge. And I'm like, it. oh my God, this is a relationship healing. This is what it looks like. Yeah. If this is what recovery is all about, all I have to do is, you know, because the more I try to control people and and and, and curate a relationship, I, I yeah, you know, I force people away. And now just being myself, people coming back, I'm attracting people and, and repairing relationships. Like, oh my gosh. Why did it take me so long to figure this out? Yeah. I will per- perhaps the most bold thing of all is to admit that you're wrong 
I, yeah. I know for me, I've always thought I'm a parent now. Yeah. I have a nine week old son here at home. And since I was little, this, maybe this will inform you of my childhood. I have, I have said many times, I cannot wait to apologize to my child. I cannot wait to be the one that will come to him and say, I was wrong. I cannot wait yeah. to be able to be bold enough to look at my behavior in relation to my child who is who I'm supposed to be in charge of, who I have authority over. Yeah. I can't wait to be bold enough to come to that kid. His name is Henry. To come to Henry and say, Henry, I was wrong. I need your forgiveness because this relationship is important to me. That's pretty bold. It's awesome. And you know what? You know, it, it, you don't know when that's going to come. I'm, I'm seeing that now. My kids are in their late 20s, you know, early 30s. I, somebody asked me on a podcast, are you a better parent than, you, than your parents were to you? I'm like, I wanted to be, and I thought I was going to be, but I wasn't, mm. you know, I was still kind of like that, you know, I, just the little things like, you know, my dad, my dad was always, you know, big, you know, we used humor as a coping mechanism and he was a big, he would tease us, you know, and I would do the same thing with my kids, you know, daddy, I'm afraid of the dark. And I would go, Whoa, you know, <laughs> I would be too, if I had that thing under my bed, you know, and stuff like, you know, just, you know, why would I put that tr- simple, small little trauma? Yeah. Like, but you know, so now I get to say, but, but I said to him, like, I, you know, to this podcast, I said, no, I'm, I, I don't think I am as good, but there's always that opportunity to, to, to correct that. Hmm. And I'm doing that now in recovery because I understand it more. And I get to have those moments of that you just described. For me, it took, so my kids are like in their you know, 20s and 30s, but I'm having it. And it's, I mean, it doesn't matter that it took this long. I just all of a sudden get to have these better relationships. It's a new relationship. It's a, new, a wholly new relationship. And it's wonderful. And I just love that I, that I, that you were bold enough to do it, to do that. And you were so right that that is such a bold thing to do. And I can't wait for you to, you know, do that too. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on again, listeners links in the show notes to everything that we can link to that we've talked about. And, uh, Tom, for real, third time, first, first three timer on the show. It's over a span of almost a decade. That's amazing. Which is amazing to think about. Uh, thank you so much for every this time you've been on, but this time specifically, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, this was really good. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's me and Tom Farley talking a lot about recovery, alcoholism, what it's like to get sober, and the importance of staying connected with people throughout that journey. If you know somebody who's going through a sober journey, you should know that they may not admit it, but they need connection with you. And if you're somebody who's curious about what it's like to live a sober life or maybe what it's like to just cut back a little bit, check the show notes. There are links to different programs and information about sobriety and what it's like to finally take that step to putting down the bottle or whatever else you might be thinking it's time to put down. Also in the show notes, there's a link to the Facebook event for our event, May 20th, Story Slam Boldly. That event, it's $10 suggested donation, and the money that comes in through that event 
is going to go to the Wilmar Center. We are going to donate everything to them to help them with their summer programs and festivals and things like that. We're also sponsored by One Barrel Brewing Company, so come thirsty and ready to support a good cause and most importantly, connect with some people over some great stories. Whether you're sharing or just listening, it's a good time. Can't wait to see you there. And as always, I love you.